You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. There are radical innovations happening right now in the field of longevity. There are new discoveries that are enabling human beings to extend their lifespan, not just by a couple of years, but potentially by decades. Today, the longest lived, fully documented human in history, she lived to be 122 years old. It was Madame Jeannette Calment, a French woman who just happened to be a chocoholic. And here's the thing, what you're going to discover today, it's not just about the nutrient inputs because she would have been doing some of the things that would not be attributed to longevity, according to conventional understandings. If you look at these blue zones across the globe, these are places where they have the highest number of centarians in their population. So these are folks who are living to be over 100 years old. The diets are very diverse as far as their nutrient intake, their percentages of animal foods versus plant foods and micronutrient varieties. However, there are some key principles that are consistent. But beyond the diet, beyond the plate, there are also other lifestyle factors that are ushering in this new wave of health and wellness that we all can take part in. Now, here's the thing. Are these innovations truly new? Or is it ancient old wisdom that science today is now demonstrating and affirming to be true? That's what we're going to be discussing today with one of the foremost experts in health, in medicine, and wellness, but also somebody who is a living representation of what he's talking about. Because now as he's into his mid-60s, if you only knew the adventures that he is participating in, right? actually he was leaving here to head to a yoga class while he's on the road. And tomorrow I think he's like flying to Mexico for an adventure and just he's doing all of these incredible things. And doing it with such vitality, not to say if you knew a story that he hasn't been through tremendous health challenges himself. And we've talked about that on past episodes with our special guests. But today he's going to be sharing his insights in a way that only he can and packaged up to really help us to understand the science of longevity and what we can start utilizing today to activate this in our own lives. Because simultaneously, while we have all of these wonderful innovations in longevity, including extending not just our lifespan chronologically, but our health span as well and our biological function and performance. While at the same time, we're also experiencing a shocking drop in life expectancy here in America that's been on the decline since 2015. We now have the first generation in recorded history here in the United States where our life expectancy has gone backwards. For decades and decades and decades, life expectancy continued to increase, but now that trend has reversed. There's something that has arrived. With all that we know, with all that we have access to, why are we more chronically diseased than ever? And also, why has our life expectancy suddenly reversed? So again, there's two paradigms that are taking place at the exact same time, and you get to choose which one you're going to participate in. So that's why this is so exciting. And I can't wait to share this incredible conversation with you. Now, during this conversation, one of the many facets or ingredients that he talks about in regards to accelerated aging and also reversing aging 
has to do with inflammation. And you're going to hear about why. But one of the things, as far as our nutrient intake, one of the most studied beverages in science has actually been found to protect our bodies against age-related inflammation. Researchers at Stanford University recently deduced that the caffeine in coffee is able to defend against age-related inflammation. Their research revealed that light to moderate coffee drinkers live longer and more healthfully, thanks in part to the protection caffeine provides by suppressing genes related to inflammation. Another study, this was published in the journal Practical Neurology, details how regularly drinking coffee has been shown to help prevent cognitive decline and reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. This is shocking to say the least. Well, in some aspects it is, but in others it shouldn't be. Many long-lived cultures regularly consume coffee, but there is a bell-shaped curve of benefits. And also, if you look at the populations that are living long and healthfully while consuming coffee, they're having high-quality coffee. It's not riddled with pesticides and toxic molds and these nefarious things that increase inflammation. So the quality of coffee matters, number one. But what if we take it a step further? What if we infuse that coffee with other incredible sources of nutrition that are also protective and help to support longevity? The organic coffee that I had today was also infused with lion's mane medicinal mushroom. And research at the University of Malaya found that lion's mane has been found to actually help to protect the brain against degradation. Specifically, they're studying it for helping to reverse even traumatic brain injuries because of its ability to be neuroprotective and stimulate neurogenesis. I get my coffee exclusively from Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. You get 10% off their incredible medicinal mushroom infused coffees. Also, they have elixirs, which are more like teas, so you can utilize these incredible medicinal mushrooms. They even have mushroom infused hot cocos that my youngest son, Braden, for example, that's one of his favorite things to drink in the morning. All right, so we're talking about nutrigenomics in its freshly brewed, truest sense. And you also get 10% off when you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You get 10% off all of their incredible mushroom-infused coffees, elixirs, hot cocos, and so much more. They even have an incredible protein powder as well. All highest standards, organic, and made the right way. By the way, their medicinal mushrooms are dual extracted, so you're actually getting the nutrients that these studies are affirming. If you don't have a dual extraction, then you're going to be missing out on a whole array of nutrients that can only be extracted by an alcohol extract, say, or vice versa, a hot water extract. So you want all of the goodies, the beta-glucan components, the triterpenes, the wonderful polysaccharides, all of the phytonutrients that we're really looking for, Four Sigmatic does it the right way. Again, go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Model Health, More Like Model Life by Owlis W. 
Hi there. I've been on my fitness journey for the past seven years, battling with weight gain and weight loss, but most of all, letting other people dictate how I felt and what I did. I was in a domestic abuse situation from 2018 to 2021, and I finally found my way back to your show in 2022 after seven years from last listening. Let's just say I am obsessed. I listen to your show everywhere. I operate a dog walking and sitting company, and I listen to you on my walks. I am super grateful for your podcast as it's helped me overcome so much in the last two years. I've become the person I've always wanted to be, and I'm happy and working on losing the weight I've gained. I am 30 pounds down as of today, and I plan to keep going. I sleep eight hours a night thanks to you. I use Insight Timer for meditation and breathing. I loved your episode where you said that weight is lost when you breathe. This couldn't be more true. This episode was 204 or 205, which is where I'm at on your show. I'm going to keep listening just as long as you do. Thanks so much. Wow, man. Thank you so much for sharing your voice and your experience and your story and your heart. That really, that means so much. Thank you. You are absolutely amazing. And you are on that adventure that I'm so honored to say this and to see thousands of new people every week are starting at episode number one of the Model Health Show and going through each and every episode. And so if you're hearing this episode right now and you're on that journey, thank you so much for making me a part of your life and traveling with me. And it means so much. And I promise you, there's so much more in store for you. Your best days are still to come. Now, on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Hyman. He's a family physician and internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in the field of functional medicine. He's the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center, senior advisor for the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, and 14-time New York Times bestselling author. He's also the board president for clinical affairs for the Institute for Functional Medicine, and he's the host of one of the leading health podcasts, The Doctor's Pharmacy. He's been a regular medical contributor to several television shows and networks, including CBS This Morning, Today, Good Morning America, The View, and so many other major media outlets. And now he's back here on the Model Health Show. And I'm telling you right now, this information is so important because we have the opportunity to choose which track we are going to take, one towards health and longevity and performance, or one towards disease and degradation because both are happening simultaneously and you have the power to choose. And it starts with education and empowerment. Let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Dr. Mark Hyman. It's not often that we have a true icon and pioneer <laughs> in health. And that's what we have here in the studio today. Mark Hyman, how are you, man? You're too nice, John. You're too nice. I'm good. I'm great. Doing yeah, good. It's good to see you. Good to see you Let's too. start off by talking about Sardinia and the secrets you discovered there about living a longer, healthier life on your recent adventures. Yeah, you know, Sean, I, I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm chronologically 63. Uh, and as I got older, I'm much more interested in the science of longevity. <laughs> I've always yes. been interested in the science of health, which really underlies the science of longevity. And in my quest to really understand the secrets of longevity, I went to some of the places in the world where people live the longest. Uh, they're called the blue zones. 
and uh, Dan Butner, colleague and friend of mine, really popularized these blue zones by writing about them. And there's five of them he's identified, and there's for sure more in the world that haven't been, but Sardinia, Ikari in Greece, Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, Loma Linda, California, with the Seventh-day Adventists, and the uh, people in Okinawa in Japan. And I went to Sardinia and Ikari, and Sardinia was just an amazing place because they were kind of landlocked in in a very mountainous region, so they had never been conquered. And they had their own language, they had their own habits, they were they had this ancient neuragic civilization. So they really had this really ancient way of life that was very well preserved. And the defaults in their world made them healthy. They didn't go to the gym, they didn't go to Whole Foods, <laughs> they weren't like meditating, <laughs> they were, all the things, you know, they, they, were, they were living a life that by default was activating all their longevity pathways. So they ate a diet of foods that were local and that were fed by nature, you know, wild herbs and wild plants and goats and sheep, milk and cheese that were eating these wild plants that were full of phytochemicals that they were getting. They were having to climb mountains just to shepherd their goats and sheep over these mountains uh, five miles a day up rocky terrain every day. They were making everything by hand. They, they had deep sense of community and connection and they had a deep sense of purpose. They were never alone. There were no nursing homes, you know? Yeah. Uh, even if there was one woman I met, Julia, who was 103 months, she said. <laughs> like, I'm five and three quarters, you know? And she was like, I'm 103 months. And she, and she was like, I never got married, but she was living with her nieces and nephews and they were taking care of her and she was still working and producing all these beautiful doilies for weddings and all these lace things that I don't even know what they call them. But uh, they had this sort of natural sense of community and celebration of life. And, you know, this, I mean, this one guy, uh, Carmine, we were, we were driving out of this town on the side of this mountain and this town had basically been uh, built in the 1950s after the original town had been subject to a huge mudslide. And so everybody evacuated this old town and this guy Carmine was sitting on this stone wall. Uh, he parked his car in front of us, kind of blocked us and he came out and sat on the stone wall and he just kind of waved to us to come over. Like, I mean, who does that in America? Like just stops her car and comes, come to have a chat, you know? So we sat and had a chat for hours and then he was telling us uh, about how he grew up in this little village that had been, you know, sort of abandoned. And he took us down there where his old farm was. And he was still farming. He was 85 years old. He had a pig and he had six sheep and he had, uh, you know, orchards and olive trees and fig trees. And he had uh, chickens and, and he ate, you know, like huge amounts of gardens. And he took care of all of it himself. And he gave most of the food away. He fed his family with it. And I mean, I couldn't keep up with him when he was running up the mountains, you know. And, and so I got to see a way of life that, um, we can learn a lot from. Obviously, none of us are going to go back to living that way, but the principles and lessons from that uh, way of life were really striking. And I, I think it was a combination of sort of this natural movement, the, the, the sort of foods that were so close to the earth and in their original forms. It was this powerful sense of connection and community and meaning and purpose. And uh, it was a sense of joy in life that they had. You know, you really emphasize this in the book also, the importance for having a reason for being. Yeah. You said specifically, the science is clear. Those who have more meaning and purpose in their lives live longer regardless of their lifestyle. It's really true. I, you know, I, I was sort of shocked by the data. You think, oh, I'm going to exercise and add many years to my life. And that's true. But uh, the studies have shown that if, if you look at people's meaning and purpose, they, people who have more meaning and purpose live seven years longer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that has nothing to do with what you're eating or what you're doing with your body in terms of exercise, but it has to do with a sense of belonging and connection. Yeah, we think that these people are outliers who like smoke cigarettes every day or they're, you know, 
Chocoholics, as you mentioned right. in the book, one of our great <laughs> yeah. stories of people having longevity. Yeah. But there's this underlying thread of having a sense of, of purpose and meaning. Mm. And what I wanted to talk to you about and what I'm so fascinated by, because we know about these blue zones and we know that the diet is actually different in each one of these blue zones mm. because of the accessibility of certain foods sure. in different places. Yeah. And so what is the thing that ties everything together? What is the consistent thing underlying all of it is that sense of community and a sense of purpose. Yeah, although it's true, but although the diet is, is really, um, you know, very similar in its, in its framework. In other words, it's very rich in plant foods. So really rich in phytochemicals, which we now know are keys to longevity. These compounds in plants, there's 25,000 or more of them that activate longevity switches. Uh, they're often high in really good fats. They're high in omega-3 fats. They're, they're rich in, you know, foods that often are wild. Like in Icaria, they had a lot of wild sage tea, which is full of these catechins that activate longevity pathways that we find in green tea. They're, they're eating goat and sheep milk, again, that's eating these wild plants. This one guy, Olinto, said to me in Sardinia, he says, we flavor the pig before we kill the animal. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, we feed it carobs and acorns and this and that. They know that the medicine in the food is making the food tastes better. They don't think, oh, I'm eating the food phytochemicals to make it, you know, medicinal and make me live a long time. They just know it tastes better, right. you know, and flavor always follows the medicine in the food. And uh, they eat foods that are, you know, wild. And for example, in Cari, they eat a lot of wild mushrooms and wild greens. They have summer greens in winter. You can go to a restaurant there and order, order wild greens. I've never seen that in a wild greens on a menu in America, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's so pretty fascinating. amazing. And it's baked into the culture. Yeah, totally. That's what's so cool about it. And in the book, of course, the antithesis of living in this lifestyle, we have certain hallmarks of aging yeah. that we might not be aware that they're happening or that we're engaged in. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, what's really fascinating is that most of medicine has been focused on the science of disease, describing diseases, naming diseases, discovering drugs to treat disease, the what. Very little of medicine is, is focused on the science of health. You know, when I went to medical school, I read a book called The Pathologic Basis of Disease. I didn't read a book on the scientific basis of wellness. <laughs> I was like, and if you go to your doctor, say, doctor, you know, I don't feel symptoms, but I, I want to be optimally well. I want to supercharge my health. I want to live to 100. They're like, okay, well, eat better and exercise more. <laughs> and how's mm, that going to help thanks, you? Thanks, doc. Yeah, thanks for the advice. <laughs> and so it's not their fault. It's just that we haven't come upon the science of health. And functional medicine is the lens through which I look, which is really a systems view of health. It's an ecosystem view. And in, in the science of longevity, researchers are discovering that almost all the diseases of aging that we see as and think of as normal, like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, dementia, they're not normal consequences of aging. They're consequences of abnormal aging. And so the, the science is really quite exciting because it's, it's describing these things that we see as normal as abnormal. And they're actually calling the process of aging as we see it in America and increasingly around the world, a disease, which can be off-putting to some. It's like, what do you mean aging is a disease? Well, I mean, look, my birthday is 1959. I was born, I can't change my chronological age, but I can change my biological age. So I'm chronologically 63, but I'm biologically 43 based on emerging new tests that we can do to look at our biological clock. Yeah. And you can change your biological clock. You can't change your chronological clock, but you can change your biological clock. And so what scientists have discovered is that there are these 10 underlying uh, things that seem to go wrong as we age that are underneath the diseases. 
And then if we work on those, then we can prevent the diseases. For example, uh, Sean, if I said to you, if we eliminated all cancer and all heart disease, the number one and two killers in the world from the face of the earth, how much longer could we expect to live? Mm. I read your book, so <laughs> seven more years. You're cheating, right? It's like five to seven years. Yeah. But that's not very long when you think about the right. two major killers. Exactly. But how do we get to 120, not just big, 85? That's a big right? jump. That's a big jump. So, but but when you look at these diseases, underneath them are these, these, these dysfunctions we call the hallmarks of aging. What's unique about what I've written in Young Forever, my book, is that I don't just talk about what the hallmarks of aging are, and I'll, I'll describe those, but what the underlying causes of those hallmarks are. So functional medicine just goes to the cause of the cause of the cause. So the things that typically scientists in longevity are working on are things like how do we address DNA repair and DNA damage? How do we improve our epigenome? And I can talk about that, which is the, the control mechanism for our, our gene expression. How do we fix proteins that are damaged? How do we deal with cells that are aging? We call zombie cells. How do we improve our stem cell function and production because our stem cells get tired? How do we improve our mitochondrial function, the energy that we make in our bodies? How do we regulate these nutrient sensing pathways that control so much of longevity that regulate our response to our food, the sugar and protein we eat? Uh, how do we deal with inflammation, the process of, of inflammation that goes on with aging? How do we look at our telomeres and understand what causes them to shorten when you have short telomeres, which are the little caps at the end of your chromosomes that control you know, replication of your DNA, when they shorten, you you shorten your life. So how do we begin to kind of think about these things? How do we look at the microbiome in aging, which is the 10th hallmark of aging that I added to my list? Uh, there's nine typically classically ones that are described, but I, I added the microbiome. So how do we begin to think about um, looking at these, assessing these, and then intervening to optimize the function of these different systems in the body? So for the first time, you know, Einstein said, I'm not interested in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know the thoughts of God. The rest are details. So in a sense, for the first time, we're getting a window into the mind of God to understand the natural laws of biology, how our bodies function and work. Yeah. And the problem with most research and the entire NIH budget is it's focused on diseases. It's not focused on health. And on the actual mechanisms of aging, it's like, like a stupid little amount of money. It's a couple hundred million dollars which is dwarfed by, for example, the cancer budget, which is six billion. But if we dealt with the aging process, we deal with the cancer. Yeah. So we, we in functional medicine are trying to understand what these causes are of the hallmarks, which are the causes of disease. And it's really, really quite simple. It's we're dying of too much of this bad stuff and not enough of the good stuff. So that's ultimately what we have to do is identify for each one of us, what is the bad stuff we're exposed to and how do we get rid of it? whether it's poor diet, stress, toxins, allergens, poor microbes. And what are the things we need to add in? The right foods, nutrients, sleep, exercise, you know, restorative healing, things that help us manage stress, a connection, community, meaning, purpose. These are all the ingredients for health. Yeah. So when we do that, we can reset these, these ancient pathways. And what's so exciting about the science of this is that we have our own innate healing systems. When you cut your skin, it heals. You don't have to go, okay, skin, I want you to fix that cut by Thursday. You know, like it just knows what to do, right? But that goes on inside us too. And we can learn how to activate these ancient longevity switches, these ancient pathways that are embedded in us that are designed to keep us well and healthy and live a long time. Wow. 
Wow. You just said the ingredients of health. Yeah. And so if we have the right ingredients, we're going to have an, a, an entirely different recipe turn out. Exactly. Right? And that's what we're seeing really with humanity right now. Yeah. We're changing the stuff that we're made of, the inputs, not just the food that we're made yeah, of, everything. right? But also all of these other inputs. And when it boils down to it, and this was one of the, the best things about the book, you kept reiterating this point. Essentially, we've, in medicine recently, we keep isolating into more and more and more parts. Yeah. And then we have specialists for all of these different things. And oftentimes, of course, they're not communicating appropriately with, and, and none of them is getting to the root cause because oftentimes your manifestation of these different symptoms, whether it's dysregulated blood sugar, whether it's uh, inflammation of your joints and yeah. pain, yeah. it has the same root, whether yeah. it's obesity, whether it's uh, whether it's cancer, yep. they often are coming back to the same root cause that's yep. not being addressed because we're not looking at you as a whole person. Exactly. Exactly. Come and on. so I think that's the fundamental problem. You know, we have to break things down into its component parts to understand them. But then we have to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You know, right. like, and I think medicine just got so over-specialized and so focused on uh, individual diseases without understanding that they are all sharing common roots, right? Every disease of aging, for example, is often influenced by insulin resistance and inflammation and mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative stress and abnormal proteins. And so you begin to kind of pull the veil back and you like, you know, you look at all these conditions and they're all so similar. You know, the Alzheimer's and diabetes and, you know, heart disease, and these are all really one disease with different manifestations. Can you talk about, you just mentioned one of these hallmarks of aging and inflammaging yeah. specifically. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we've discovered in medicine that inflammation seems to be a common phenomena across all age-related diseases. And aging itself, even if you don't have a disease, people who are older seem to be just more inflamed. If you measure blood work that measures inflammation, it's just, they're just more inflamed. Uh, and if you have heart disease and cancer and diabetes and dementia, these are all inflammatory diseases. So then the question is not how do we shut off the inflammation, but what's causing it, right? It's not about taking more aspirin or Advil or a steroid or some immune suppressing drug, which by the way has been trying a lot of these problems. It doesn't work. It's, it's, it's based on this simple rule of finding the cause. And in functional medicine, we talked about the TAC rules. If you're standing on a TAC, it takes a lot of aspirin to make it feel better. Take out the tack, right? Mm. So what causes inflammation? Well, far and away, the number one cause is our modern diet. It's our ultra-processed, high-starch, high-sugar, refined oils, food additives, toxic pesticides, all this crap in our diet that's driving massive levels of inflammation. It's just throwing fuel on the fire. It's just, it's causing the fire. It's like literally when you eat sugar, and starch, it increases insulin production. That leads to insulin resistance in the body. That leads to more, more insulin being produced. That drives fat into your fat cells. So all the sugar and the food you're eating, it's driven into your belly fat. That belly fat essentially isn't just, you know, fat cells holding up your pants. They're immune organs. They're endocrine organs. They're, neuro, they're brain organs. There's neurotransmitters and cytokines and hormones being produced in these cells, they call them adipocytes, or adip and they produce adipocytokines, which are inflammatory chemicals. So when you look at somebody who's overweight, who has belly fat, they're producing high levels of these cytokines we've heard about with COVID, these cytokine storms. So literally, this is like a fire in the belly, and that fire spreads throughout the body. 
And it, and we know that, for example, Alzheimer's is being called type 3 diabetes because of how it affects the brain. And sugar in the brain, I mean, is driving much of the Alzheimer's we see. So this is, you know, and then there's toxins that cause inflammation. There's lack of exercise. There's lack of sleep that causes inflammation. There's um, stress. Our thoughts can create inflammation. You literally can have inflammation genes turned on by having a conflictual conversation with somebody versus a loving conversation that will turn on genes that calm down inflammation. So this is not kind of voodoo, you know, woo yeah. stuff. It's, it's hardcore science. Yeah, yeah. And we've, the thing about it too is this has been around for years. Our level of, of dissemination of this stuff is, is remarkable today, but there are entire fields of psychoneuroendocrinology, psychoneuroimmunology. Yeah. Talking about how our thoughts, our perception, stress yeah. affects our immune system, our, our production and release of hormones, totally. or lack thereof. Totally. And so we can think ourselves right into disease state and also accelerate our aging process. Totally. I mean, Candace Pert wrote a book called The Molecules of Emotion. She was yes. an NIH researcher and, and saw the receptors for neurotransmitters, our thoughts on our immune cells. Yeah. So you're literally talking to your immune system. Uh, you can lengthen your telomeres by meditating, which is amazing, right? You awesome. can cool off inflammation by doing very simple practices. So I've, I've tried to map out not just the science, and I, I, I put enough science in the book to help people understand the why, but then what do you do and how do you do it? So that's what the sort of second and third parts of the book are about. It's about the what and the how. So people can take this emerging science and find simple ways to apply it that are accessible to almost everybody. Yeah, yeah, so powerful. Well, I love that the, we, we now have these specific hallmarks of aging to really look at mm. and how are we associating with these, with these things. So inflammation, another thing that you mentioned, and I don't want this to get glanced over because it's super strange, you said zombie cells. Zombie cells, yeah. So what happens is as your cells go through their normal life cycle, your body has a mechanism for killing them and then recycling the old parts. And uh, that's called apoptosis. Sometimes, though, the cells don't quite die and they become zombie cells or what we call senescent cells. And they run around your body not doing anything good except producing loads of inflammatory molecules. So they're like a fire-breathing dragon that goes around spreading inflammation everywhere and then they infect, not actually infect, but like they basically make other cells zombie cells. So they accelerate the population of zombie cells. And, and as we get older, we have more and more of these zombie cells and they're really hard to kill. And so there's mm. all sorts of things wow. that now we can do to kill them that we now know that are these senolytic compounds, so it's phytochemicals. For example, fisetin, which is one of the ones I talk about in the book, is from strawberries. Who knew, right? <laughs> now, if you eat a wild strawberry, you're gonna get a lot of it. If you eat a commercially raised strawberry, probably not too much, but you can also take it as a supplement. And this seems to be a senolytic, killing these zombie cells. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy also kills them. Many, many other things we can do will help kill the zombie cells. So th there's, this is just one of the hallmarks of aging. Wow. Hyperbaric oxygen, for example. A lot of folks are getting attuned to this. Can you give a, just a little sure. bit of a glimpse into what it is? So what, what, what often happens uh, is uh, when, when scuba divers go uh, scuba diving and they come up too fast, they can get nitrogen poisoning. they called narcosis, nitrogen narcosis. And that's really dangerous. And so they develop these decompression chambers to basically quickly put them back under the ocean. So they basically put them back under like 66 feet of water, which 
puts all the bubbles back in their blood and dissolves the gas and prevents them from getting really sick. And they pump in 100% oxygen. But it turns out these hyperbaric oxygen chambers are also used in traditional medicine to increase wound healing, for strokes, for all kinds of things, diabetic ulcers. Uh, but it turns out there's a lot of people using them for researching longevity. And these researchers in Israel found that when they took a group of people and put them in these hyperbaric chambers at two atmospheres, which is about 66 feet under the ocean, usually maybe 60 to 90 minutes, uh, and they did, I think, 30 sessions or so, uh, they were able to kill the zombie cells and increase telomere length more than any other therapy known. Wow. So, I mean, it's cool. These are harder things to get. You, you know, there's home hyperbaric chambers you can buy for, you know, they're not super cheap, like 10 grand or something, but there's also hard chambers that, you know, are often more expensive, but there's a possibility of really getting access to these over time. The price will come down to get these sessions. Uh, maybe when you just go to the doctor for a doctor visit every every year, maybe you'll do a session of 10 or 20. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, the the demand increases the supply yeah. for something like this. So there are centers now, like especially in a place like Los Angeles, you're going to find, you know, entire businesses that have hyperbaric oxygen yeah. treatment. One of the people who, our mutual friend, Dr. Daniel Amen, yeah. pointed me towards that for brain health. Absolutely. For strokes, for Alzheimer's, for autism, for cerebral palsy, for, uh, you know, Parkinson's disease. Very impressive to see what happens to people. So cool. So cool. Well, I want to, if we could, inflammation is obviously such a, such a poignant topic right now. And I don't, for whatever reason, like, I don't think we really get it, right? Because I think that because it seems like one of those soft science type words, you know, and we've talked about this before and how semantics and lexicon and all these different things, the, the way that words are used. And so when I was in school getting my traditional education, when I'm in biology and we hear something like inflammation, you just say, oh, it sounds like a little fire, whatever. Yeah, you right, know, it's right. not a big deal. We take an NSAID, yeah. right? We can take something to reduce inflammation, but we really don't get it. And you said the number one driver of our epidemics of inflammation has to do with our diet yeah. and its consumption of these highly refined, ultra-processed foods. So my question is not only, yes, obviously, let's remove the cost, but what has your research found as far as like, are there certain foods that we can start to A hundred percent. Well, that's what's so exciting. It's like, you know, yes, you have to take out the bad stuff, but then you have to put in the good stuff. And so getting rid of these ultra processed foods is, is just so essential if you want to have a healthy life and a long life and feel good and deal with so many problems we have. But at the same time, you have to add in the good stuff. And what we're learning is that, that there's so many foods that are anti-inflammatory. So, for example, omega-3 fats that come from wild fish, actually it's from the algae that the wild fish eat that accumulate up the food chain, um, but it, it actually is a very important fat that regulates our inflammatory pathways. Uh, phytochemicals are the other big factor in our diet that are anti-inflammatory, and these are found in colorful fruits and vegetables and herbs and spices, everything from the... Uh, compounds in green tea and curcumin and red grape skins and strawberries and I mean the pomegranate, all these things have the ability to regulate these ancient pathways. And there's this phenomenon I, I kind of coined a term and it's kind of a mouthful, but it's symbiotic phytoadaptation. And essentially what it means is we've co-evolved with plants and have adapted to use their molecules for our benefit, right? So we don't make vitamin C, we get it from our food. We don't make many of these phytochemicals or many of them but we use them from our diet. And we used to eat 800 species of plants 
and a huge wide variety of wild foods like they did in Ikari or Sardinia. Yeah. It's just part of their natural diet because they had to scrounge and eat whatever they could eat, right? It wasn't wasn't because they, oh, I'm going to eat wild foods because it's better for me. It's like, this is what I got to eat, you know? In the winter, I got to find these wild greens. And so these compounds are everywhere in the plant kingdom that we can consume on a regular basis. So eating a rich variety of colorful fruits and vegetables is essential for good health. And then, of course, there's the whole mushroom family, which has polysaccharides that are immune-regulating and adaptogenic and, and modulate our immune function. So there's lots of ways we can hack this. Um, also, um, having ways that we, uh, not just looking at what we're eating, but but when we're eating. And, and we know that, for example, the body has this inbred mechanism to deal with starvation. So when we have a lack of food for a period of time, whether it's 12 hours overnight fast or 14 or 16 hours or a longer fast, our bodies are so adapted to kick into gear these ancient longevity pathways to preserve our health and keep our bodies functioning better and to recycle old proteins and to clean up all waste and to shut off inflammation. And it works. So if you basically just do a simple, you know, pause between dinner and breakfast for 12 hours or even up to 16 hours, you can activate these longevity pathways that shut off inflammation, for example, inhibiting this pathway that is a master transcription factor for genes that turns on all these inflammatory signals called NF-kappa B. Mm. And this is, a, this is a big medical word, but the point is that you, you know, we understand the biology and the mechanisms of how this works. So fascinating, so fascinating. But again, this is something that we're not acclimated to. Mm. We are living in a society with so much. I was just sharing some, some data not too long ago on the obesity epidemic in homeless folks, yeah. folks in our homeless popula population, because these ultra processed foods are so yeah. readily available, we are not living at a time where we are lacking accessibility to food. We're living at a time where most folks are not dying from lack of food, they're dying from the consumption of too much of the wrong stuff, yeah. right? And we're just, we're very, it's changing, you know, it's changing the ingredients of what's making us up. Yeah, it's, it's not interesting that hunger and obesity go together. You know, we think we typically think of someone who's starving and hungry as someone who's skinny and scrawny, but it's not the case in America. Most people who are facing food insecurity and food scarcity are obese, and it's because they're when they do get money or they do get enough to buy something, they can afford these incredibly cheap calories that are highly processed, that are subsidized by our government, uh, either through food stamps or through agricultural subsidies to make things like you know, high fructose corn syrup, you know, so cheap. I, I once was talking to the vice chairman of Pepsi. I'm like, why do you use high fructose corn syrup? You used to use sugar and Pepsi and Coke. He says, Mark, uh, the government makes it too cheap for us not to use it, mm. right? <laughs> and they mm. subsidize the production of corn. And so we, we, just, we just are in such a bad situation where we're dealing with these sort of dual epidemics of hunger and food insecurity and food scarcity as at the same time, we're dealing with obesity and diabetes and things we think are from excess. So it's an excess of the wrong stuff and a lack of the good stuff. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. It's no secret that processed food manufacturers have a team of scientists chemically constructing frankenfoods that are incredibly addictive, but also causative agents of degeneration and disease. It's one thing to tell yourself to stop eating these processed foods. It's another thing to our biology that can actually become addicted to some of these chemical and sweet elements. Well, researchers have recently discovered that there is a natural 
food element that's able to help our brains and our biology resist the urge to eat hyperpalatable fake processed foods. A study published in the peer-reviewed journal Appetite found that chlorophyll can actually aid in weight loss and reduce the urge to eat hyperpalatable foods. And what's really interesting is that it was also found to increase the release of glucagon-like peptide 1, which, according to research published in the Journal of Endocrinology, has a potential to trigger body fat redistribution. This means that it's sparking the release of visceral, aka belly fat, and increasing the ratio of subcutaneous fat, which appears to be more protective against metabolic diseases. Pretty cool stuff found in chlorophyll. What are the most chlorophyll-dense foods that you can find? Well, anything green is going to have chlorophyll. It's an indicator of the chlorophyll content. But specific foods like chlorella, getting its name from chlorophyll, is really taking things to another level. Chlorella is actually 50% protein by weight. It's complete protein and one of the most protein-dense nutrient sources ever discovered. It also contains carotenoids like lutein and zeaxanthin that have been found to protect our vision from things like macular degeneration. And to top it off, a double-blind placebo-controlled study published in Clinical and Experimental Hypertension found that chlorella was able to significantly reduce blood pressure of test subjects with hypertension by the end of the 12-week study period. So being an actual source of treatment for people experiencing hypertension, something remarkable about it. Chlorella, combine that with spirulina, another nutrient-dense super algae, which is 71% protein by weight. And spirulina, of course, is also another remarkable source of chlorophyll, along with being rich in B vitamins and copper and iron. The list goes on and on in the micronutrient ratios. I get them combined together with other powerful superfoods in the Organifi green juice formula. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. You get 20% off their incredible green juice blend. Their red juice blend is amazing as well. My kids love it. Their gold is remarkable. Just everything that they carry, they're doing things the right way. Organic, low temperature processed to help to retain the nutrients and they taste fantastic. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model for 20% off. Now back to the show. You mentioned earlier about nature's accessibility, especially like you and your trip to Sardinia and seeing folks were eating what was in their environment. And there's certain things that we don't produce, like we don't make vitamin C. And it's because we evolved with pretty abundant access to vitamin C. It's in so much stuff. Yeah, for sure. Where there are species like a lion, for example, they make vitamin C. Yeah, most species fact. do, except I think humans and guinea pigs. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So like this is pointing to like we didn't need to use any energy to do that right. or kind of cellular memory yeah. because it's so abundant. Yeah. Now, what happens when you don't have access to that? So this creates the phenomenon, like you just mentioned, where we have this abundance of abnormal calories, but we're lacking the things that actually are required for health. Yeah. Right. So if you're not getting vitamin C from that fucking honey bun, yeah, like you're going to, it's you're essentially starving. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's crazy. so true, and it's just, you know, I don't think people understand that that the, the thing that is the biggest driver of so much suffering and disease in the world, and the cost of healthcare 
is food because it's both a poison and it's a medicine. And the food we're eating is a poison, but we have the potential to eat medicine that works faster, better, and cheaper than any drug on the planet. And I, if I can, I'll just tell a quick story of a patient because I think it kind of illustrates the power of this. And it's like, oh, it sounds good and yeah, yeah, whatever. But, uh, you know, we had a patient come in who was 66 years old at Cleveland Clinic. She joined one of our groups. It was a support group for healthy lifestyle change. And it, the basic diet was was what I recommend for my patients who are struggling with, with chronic inflammation and chronic disease, which is a very anti-inflammatory, whole foods, nutrient-rich, phytochemical-rich, good fat diet. Uh, and I got her off all the junk she was eating, but she was type 2 diabetic, 66 years old, on insulin, heart failure, kidney failure. I mean, she was headed for a kidney transplant and a heart transplant. Mm. And she had high blood pressure, pilomeds, her copay was 20000 a year. So who knows what the other costs were, right? She probably was costing the healthcare system hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we simply changed her diet. And in three days, she was off insulin. Her A1C, which is a measure of your average blood sugar over six weeks, was 11. Normal is six or less, really. And hers, within a couple of months, was five and a half. She reversed her heart failure, which doesn't happen, reversed her kidney dysfunction, which doesn't happen, her fatty liver resolved, her high blood pressure normalized, she lost 43 pounds in three months, and then over a year, she lost 116 pounds. And it was just through the power of food as medicine. There's no drug on the planet that can do that. And so it's not about just preventing disease, it's not about just managing disease. We're taking people and eliminating the end stage of diseases and bringing them back to optimal health. Now, there's sometimes you can't do that if the heart muscle is just full of scars and your kidneys are already nuked. But it's amazing how the body has its capacity to regenerate. And so what I want people to understand is that embedded within you is the secret to longevity. It's like Dorothy with her ruby red slippers. You just had to click her heels three times and she'd get back to Kansas. You know, mm -hmm. All we have to do is understand these mechanisms and how to turn the switches, which we can do. If you go in a dark room and you don't know where the light switch is, you're screwed. But you know what light switches, you can turn the light on. That's what I want to show people is this is not some futuristic idea. And the futuristic stuff's kind of cool. And that may be coming, like longevity escape velocity, where we may not even have to die. But I don't, I don't even go in there. I'm just talking about the basic stuff. Yeah. And get us to 120. Yeah, yeah. Man, such, that, that story also of your patient, such a great story. And this is one of the things that I, you really helped to turn on a light switch in my own thinking. Because we come into this situation and we're, we're seeing all of this disease happening around us. And we, and, and this is, of course, I'm way past this thinking now, but it's still very prevalent, which is in medicine and in health, we have this very strange belief that things are spontaneous or we don't know right. what the root is, right? So we, right. we, for example, like this is something that just happens. I got diabetes. Well, I caught right. it from what? I caught it from the... Newspaper, we don't like know what, what caused it, and we right. don't talk about right. as healthcare professionals. We don't talk about the cause. As a matter of fact, you doing that early on, and you're one of those people. You were out saying things that can get a lot of vitriol by saying, "Hey, we can reverse diabetes." Right? Oh my God! Yeah. And so there is a time when that wasn't even appropriate to say. Yeah, I'm on quack watch. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, could you talk about that paradigm of you know, for example, not being able to outwardly say like this is curable because it's not curable because there isn't a drug that cured that right by the way yeah i mean that's true this is the thing is you know there's a lot of people looking at longevity drugs but unless you fix those underlying things like we did with her with food it, you know there's no drug on the planet that could cure that she was on all the diabetes drugs it wasn't curing her diabetes 
And so doctors, it's no fault of their own. We have no nutrition education and we've never seen this happen. So if you've never seen a zebra, it's hard to believe that a zebra exists, right? But if you see zebras every day, you go, of course there's a zebra. So every day I see people reversing autoimmune disease and heart disease and dementia and, and diabetes and all sorts of things that are chronic diseases, meaning chronic diseases in, in medical terminology means you can't cure it. You just have to take, try to take care of it as best you can, right? That is just so not factually true when you yeah. look at the data. And it's called is, giving up as well. And it's not just my opinion. I mean, there's just study after study that shows this, like, like the work of Sarah Hallberg and her colleagues, sadly she died of, of cancer, but she showed that with ketogenic diets, they could take type two diabetics who were far advanced on insulin and completely reverse it in over 60% of cases. Now, when you think that this is the biggest driver of our healthcare costs, it's one of three Medicare dollars. If you look at diabetes and obesity, which I call diabetes together, it's over $3.7 trillion of our economy. It's insane and it's optional. It's not like, you know, I mean, listen, COVID happened. Like, I mean, I can't get rid of COVID, right? It's a thing. It's like a virus. It's going to be there. But this is a completely avoidable problem. This is speaking to, I literally just wrote this down, that connection with inflammation and COVID. Yeah, let's and talk really about that. to clarify that because, so I, I shared this study with so many people. And even Tony Robbins, like he ended up putting some of the data that I put out there into his most recent book. And this was a study, was, and the thing is, if you weren't on top of it, you might've missed it. It's published by the CDC, huge meta-analysis. They looked at over 540,000 COVID-19 patients from over 800 US hospitals. They looked at this huge data set. They found that the number one risk factor for death was obesity, mm -hmm. all right? Clearly, number one. Number two was, Anxiety and fear-related disorders was the second leading risk factor for death from COVID, which speaks to that the mind component and stress. And the third one was diabetes and its yeah. complications. But that obesity component, it was like radio silence yeah, from all the news broadcasts, from the so-called health officials. It's quite amazing, right? And you made the connection earlier with inflammation and obesity, so that it's not a mystery why there's such a high no. susceptibility with that particular condition. No, I mean, I, honestly, Sean, I saw the early data coming out. In, in March 2020, I wrote an editorial for the New York Times. It got rejected by them, but it got published in the Boston Globe, exactly describing this data that showed that the people who are most at risk for COVID were those who are obese or diabetic or had chronic illness or who are older, right? What do all those have in common? Inflammation. So we know that if you are obese, you are inflamed by definition, right? So these people were pre-inflamed. So all the COVID did was put gasoline on a fire and it explodes. And that's what happened with these people. And you saw this radically high deaths from, from people who, who had inflammatory conditions that were underlying it. And, and even people who didn't have it, like who were older, because of inflammation, they're at higher risk. It doesn't mean that everybody who's older is inflamed though. Like you can be a healthy older person and not be inflamed, that's the point. But mostly if we don't change what we're doing, we're all gonna be inflamed. One study showed that 63% of all deaths and hospitalizations from COVID could have been prevented by better diet. That should be like headline news, flashing you know, neon Times Square. And it was like, like you said, radio silence. But you know, Boris, Boris Johnson in the UK was the prime minister during COVID and he got COVID and he ended up in the ICU and he almost died. And he came out and he says, hey, it's because I was overweight. 
and I was unhealthy. And that's the problem. And he literally created a whole sweeping set of policies to eliminate marketing of junk food and processed food and all these food policies to really try to improve the health of the population underneath it. And it was just a missed opportunity for people to understand this connection between what they're eating and how their bodies are working or not. Yeah, yeah. That's, that would be a good use of a terrible experience to do something like that. And that's what I'm still very hopeful for. And I'm not the type of human being who puts a lot of stock into hope. I'm very much more practicality. Let's stack conditions for hope to do its thing, right? And so we have a great opportunity, you know, within, within crisis, we have the opportunity to do some of these things where we do start to shift policy around and get folks educated. And unfortunately, the, the broadest message across the board was disempowerment. You know, yeah. there's nothing you can do oh, except wait around crazy. for us to come up with a newly invented drug so that we can save you. Yeah, I mean, vitamin D is a great example. Vitamin D in, in studies, for example, on biological aging have shown that if you give adequate doses of vitamin D, you can reverse your biological age using these DNA methylation biological clocks, which is pretty darn impressive. Just taking a vitamin. We also know that if you're low in vitamin D, your risk of hospitalization and death was over 70% higher. And if your vitamin D level is over 50, then your risk of death was zero. <laughs> now, people were talking about vaccine mandates and mass mandates. How about a vitamin D mandate? <laughs> You're talking about pennies a dose. Yeah. Pennies a dose that could yeah. radically change there were, the health of the population. When I did, I did an episode on it, and I had at the time 23 peer-reviewed studies on the efficacy oh, sure. of vitamin D in the context of COVID. And 23 no, at the time. This there's was no like, lack of data. It's a lack of the financial incentives that are in line to promote it. So this new drug comes up like Paxlovid or a vaccine, and you've got billions of dollars billions, behind these drugs. Billions you know? upon billions. I, I kind of heard something that just blew my mind that I might get the number wrong, but it was like Pfizer increased the dose of the vaccine. I mean, the cost of the vaccine by like a thousand or 10,000% or something. I'm like, what? So it's just like, this is after the government basically funded it all and gave them billions of dollars. Which when you say that, that means we funded it. We funded it, yeah. The government, we funded it. Came, right? from, our, so, came exactly. from our pockets. Yeah, I pay taxes, so I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy, you know, and again, even in the beginning with the framing too, they were gonna be so altruistic and make sure low costs, right? Accessibility to, to poor nations. None of that. No, none of none it. None of it. No, you know, it's no. like, forget that. We're, this is a cash cow and we're gonna milk it for everything that it's yeah. got. And again, we've gotta look at, be honest and look at the results and look at where, the biggest result for me, this is the most important, where's our health at now today? We are radically even less healthy yeah. than at the beginning, radically. Yeah. The rate, the, the CDC published another study looking at childhood obesity just within that first year and obese children, their annual rate of weight gain went from eight pounds to over 14 pounds. Children who are moderately obese, their rate of weight gain doubled yeah. in the context of that small window. And even children who are at a healthy weight, their annual weight of, uh, rate of weight gain went up by a couple pounds as well. Now, we might think, again, this is temporary, but then we have recidivism. Once we turn on these programs of obesity no, it's hard to in our children, back. it's very difficult to change that as time <sighs> goes on, especially in this society. I mean, an overweight kid has a, a, a 13 years left, less of life expectancy than a normal weight kid. That's frightening. So if life expectancy is 75, you're talking about like, you know, mid 60s for these kids or younger a lot of the times. That's another way of cracking the code here with longevity is what we can do as conditions in our family cultures. 
Totally. Well, it's our, it's our family culture, but it's also the, the bigger culture, the toxic food environment, the, the default choices that we have, the lack of access, the food deserts. I mean, the lack of awareness and education. I mean, it's all dri driving this sort of avalanche of, of chronic disease that's accelerating aging and early death. So at the same time, we're on the precipice of this extraordinary discoveries that can help us live to 120. We're seeing our life expectancy go down for the last three years for the first time in history. And during COVID, it went down even more. It's paradox. I mean, it's it's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like, what's happening here? We, you know, we're, 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 we're the one fact that should blow people's mind about COVID is that in America, we're about 4% of the world's population, but we're about 16% of the cases and deaths. Red what's flag. up with that? It's not that we don't have good health care. Red flag alert. It's like, wait a minute. It may be because we're eating the wrong crap that's making us inflamed and sick and susceptible to getting sick and dying. Yeah. Yeah. Again. We have the highest rates of, I mean, you name it, a plethora of chronic diseases, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, the list goes on and on. You know, just as a, as a nation, it's normalized to be unhealthy. And so you're weird, yeah. Mark, you know, I'm being weird. a healthy individual and also, but here's the thing, like you just said, there's, a, there's this strange phenomenon where we have these two very different life tracks taking place and they're existing at the same time. And I think it's actually beautiful because this is what humanity tends to do. We create a problem and the solution manifests. And so we're not looking at just surviving, but like how can we thrive and extend our lifespan, but also our health span. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned that culture expanding just out, even outside of our own household, but to the communities at large and what we're exposed to. So now we're talking about the science around the epigenome, yeah. right? And you mentioned that as one of these hallmarks of aging. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, so this is a little bit Techie, but we'll get, we'll get into it. But, you know, the body has a set of genes. It's called your genome. And you get about 20,000 genes, and that's pretty fixed. Now you can do gene editing and fancy stuff, but that's not quite here yet. What controls those genes is more important than the genes themselves. This is called the epigenome, which means it lies above your genome. And these are like little bookmarks in your book of life. These are little tags on your DNA that regulate which genes get turned on or off. Are you gonna turn on the longevity genes or the aging genes, right? Or the health genes and the disease genes. And the epigenome, think of it more like uh, the, the genome as your piano, and the, you've got 88 keys, but you know, I can play ragtime and jazz and rock and Mozart, whatever you want. The piano player is the epigenome. And we have massive control over the epigenome by what we eat, by exercise, by our thoughts, by stress, by sleep, by our nutrient levels, our toxic exposures, our microbiome, all these things are washing over our genes and controlling them by influencing the epigenome. So the biological clock, the thing I said where I'm 43 biologically, but 63 chronologically, that's by measuring my epigenome and the DNA methylation clock, which is your biological clock. And that I can change. So I'm 43, but I'm going for 25. So that's we'll good. see how it goes. I don't know if I'll get there, but that's the possibility we have. And and like, I've just been living a healthy lifestyle for a long time and I haven't really started really fully embracing some of these longevity strategies that are next generation. Yeah. So I'm excited about it because I got the 43 just doing the basics, right? Yeah. So what yeah. if I add up all these other stuff and take these phytochemicals or uh, NAD derivatives or maybe rapamycin, which is a new compound that that maybe helping to regulate aging, or maybe I can do transfusions, uh, getting my plasma exchanged so I don't have to 
have all this old blood and kill my zombie cells. Maybe stem cells or exosomes or peptides or hyperbaric oxygen or ozone, all these cool things that are emerging. So I'm starting to experiment with these things and seeing how they affect me. And, you know, I'll I'll let you know how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, it's so awesome. But the most powerful thing right there was that just by doing the basics, you're you're biologically so much younger. 20 years younger. Yeah. You know, that is so powerful, you know, and it's very inspiring, too. You know, so in in this expression with you just gave a great example an analogy with the piano and we could change out the piano player so we can have like with your life choices have like ray charles playing your piano or you can have a fucking cat right on the piano like banging <laughs> keys and the out picturing of your health is going to be very different you know and totally. sorry no disrespect to the ki- kitties out there yeah, 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 no yeah, disrespect yeah. but there's like you're you know, not known Instagram, for their musical composition right, you know they'll jump onto a piano and and, and freak you out but the bottom line is we have more influence on this, way more. Way than more than we ever talk. thought. Yeah. And the other thing I want people to understand, Sean, is that, you know, disease is not an inevitable part of life. That, that, that we, if we understand how to activate our healing systems, our bodies in built-in software for repair, renewal, regeneration, and longevity, we can activate these ancient systems. And we have so many doorways in. And that's what my book, Young Forever, is about. It's about how to activate these systems through different technologies, whether it's food or exercise or stress reduction or sleep optimization or nutrient intake, or maybe it's advanced things like hot and cold therapy, sauna, cold plunges, ozone, hyperbaric oxygen, all these amazing things that we now know work on these same ancient pathways that were designed to keep us alive when things were rough. Yeah, you even shared in the book some statistics on uh, diseases as we age and the percentage of folks. The thing that stood out to me the most was there's a percentage of folks, a nice chunk who don't get a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Like because what's most startling is the majority who do. do right. But then we immediately, when I see that though, I think about what people think and what I used to think, which was, oh, they just have better genes. Mm, no way, no way. Right? That's why they didn't get a disease. No way. I mean, I think it's really about um, like look. My family has a big history of cancer and heart disease. And, you know, my dad was overweight. My grandpa was overweight. Like, you know, my mom was overweight. My mom was pre-diabetic, but it was their lifestyle. Of course, they didn't listen to me because I was their son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I think that, you know, I I have a very different body than, I mean, like, if you look at my dad and my, my body when we were younger, it's the same. But he ended up very different at the end. And I'm, you know, actually, uh, fitter and more muscular than I was when I was 30 or 40. Wow. Amazing. That's what's possible. I'll show you a before and after picture. You won't believe it. Oh my gosh. And it wasn't that I was overweight. Before I was just... we even got started, you showed me a picture. I'm just like, my <laughs> you're the, you know, again, you're, it's very different from what we are perceived. Yeah. I was thinking about this paradigm today we have of the dad bod, right? It's just like, it's, it's this template. This is the evolution of, uh, of a man today. But there is such a plethora of possibilities and we get to choose. Each of our choices are guiding what's happening like with who's play, playing that piano. Yeah. And, you know, this is going back as well to saying this, this point I want to make. With that percentage of folks who don't have the onset of a chronic disease, we need to reframe our perception of what a disease is because we have this degree of permanence that we put with it. Which, for example, I was 20 with an advanced arthritic condition of my yeah. spine, yeah. and I no longer have it. Yeah. I was, it, throughout my entire childhood, in and out of the hospital annually for asthma, yeah. I don't have it. There you go. You know, right. it's just like, 
There you go. But I could have bought in fully yeah. to the belief, this is who I am. I I'm am an, an asthmatic, asthmatic right. arthritic, like just slather me with labels. So I'm just walking around with all of these bumper stickers on me of disease states yeah. when these things don't have to have a permanence for the most part. And just to be clear, let me share the latest signs that we have. Approximately, no more than 5% of all of our chronic diseases are actually attributed to true genetic defects. Right. In the case of something like Alzheimer's, and this is coming from top neuroscientists who we have yeah, on the yeah, show, for sure. less than 1% of all Alzheimer's cases, which is creeping its way into the top five leading cause of death in the United States, is actually due to true genetic defect. For sure. so much determined by our lifestyle. Well, look at obesity itself. I mean, we've got like 75% of the population that's overweight, 93% that's metabolically unhealthy. So there's even what we call skinny fat people. They look thin, but they're actually metabolically fat on the inside. So you've got 6% of the population, more or less, that's healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, you look about 100 years ago, or even like in the 1970s, I saw that uh, Aretha Franklin movie, uh, Amazing Grace. It was amazing. It was filmed in 1970. There wasn't an obese or overweight person in the entire audience of African Americans in the church. That was Amazing Grace in the audience. And now there's not, amazing. Now there's not uh, you know, you know uh, really uh, an African American population that's spared. 80% of African American women are overweight. Yeah. That's the hardest of every population, that is the most pervasive. And you know, it was interesting, they were more healthy in the 60s than whites, and now yeah. it's the reverse. So it's not a genetic problem. You know, if we, if we look, and they've identified all the genes that relate to obesity, right? And they, if we fixed all those genes, we had some magic editing tool, we could like correct all those genes, it would at most account for a 22 pound weight loss. Right? Wow. Which doesn't account for all the rest of the obesity. That's what we spent time doing in science is just like trying to find that fat gene. Yeah. And then we yeah. can try to find <clears throat> some kind of drug or edit it and just, you know, then it's going like to be the solution. Listen, I the wish there was a pill. I'd here. take it because I want to eat all the ice cream I can, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> the solutions have existed for forever. You mm. know, we have, we, we know the potential of the human body and human health. We've, you know, we've got incredible um people have come before us and cultures i'm just thinking right now of the physical cultures like the, the the ancient greeks and you know and also even going back to the ancient egyptians and just the things that were implemented into culture i remember i came across um a report before on even intermittent fasting essentially back in the time when you know the roman empire was happening and eating early in the day was frowned upon mm. because you know it was just it was just part of the culture yeah. To where you're eating into the afternoon instead yeah. of just first thing when you get yeah, up. Yeah. It's a new invention. And really even the- Snacking is definitely not a thing in most of the world. <laughs> you know, yeah. snack foods is like, we don't eat snack foods. If we eat yeah. right. <laughs> and even in the age of, you know, the monastic life and eating before mass, for example, unless you were sick or a baby, you know, like you're eating after mass, you know. And so, but in our culture today, breakfast has become a marketing ploy where it's the most important meal of the day you got to get fueled up on cereal cereal on oatmeal on orange juice part of a balanced breakfast they said balanced breakfast mark on the commercial it's a bowl of oatmeal uh it's a glass of milk a glass of orange juice and some toast how are we gonna do during the day mark how are we gonna so bad. how are we gonna so perform bad. if you want to die that's the way to do it <laughs> brought to you by kellogg's <laughs> you know so i i want to talk i know this is one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about having you here because again, much like inflammation 
I think that because it's invisible in a sense, mm. we can see some of the symptoms of inflammation for sure, right? We can, mm. if, we were, if we have an injury to a body part, right? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we don't really see it. So I think it's part of the reason there's this cognitive block. That holds true for stress as well, right? We know very well that you can stress your way into having more body fat or even into obesity. Yeah. But because your it's calorie-free, your thoughts. Let's talk about that because this is a big if we're if we're talking about the ingredient list for having a recipe of true longevity, health span and overall lifespan, stress is a big part of this. Huge. You know, it was interesting. I, I it reminds me when I was in Sardinia, uh, I went to visit this guy Silvio who lived on the top of this mountain and he was a shepherd and had 200 goats and sheep. And uh, his family lived there for centuries. His family lived there all together with him. And they decided to have a little kind of restaurant at the top of the mountain. And so they would, you know, have all the food that they grew. Uh, they would have their goat milk and sheep milk and they would have their goats and sheep that they occasionally serve. <clears throat> and they would have their minestrone soup. And it was just such a beautiful culture. And uh, we sat there, had this beautiful meal with him. And I, so I, I talked to him, I said, Silvio, tell me, uh, do you have any stress in your life? And he looked at me like it was the weirdest freaking question you've ever been asked. And he thought for a minute, it took him a minute. And he was like, hmm. well, he says, yeah, sometimes, sometimes in the middle of the night, a goat gets loose and I have to go get it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, you know, like it's- That's what you're going to come up with? It's wow. Like, it's like they don't even have a concept of chronic right. stress. They just live life and they're full of joy and they're present, they're connected. They, they're not on their computer and mm. their phones. They're not striving to do anything. They're not like starting a new company and doing this thing. And like, like it's just not that that's bad. It's just like they're, they're just living. And they're living a connected life to the earth, to each other, to themselves. And so their concept of stress is almost foreign to them. And yet it's such a powerful driver of disease. So why is mental health and stress and the opposite, you know, like having a sense of purpose and connectedness, why is this so important to longevity? Well, I think, I think it works through these biological pathways, these ancient systems. And we now know, for example, like that, that being part of a community, that having social connections actually influences gene expression. It's called sociogenomics, which is how our social relationships influence our gene expression. So if you're in a connected, loving, engaged, relationship or community, your genes are all anti-inflammatory and they're getting turned on to stop disease. Whereas if you're, you know, alone and isolated, I mean, loneliness is one of the biggest risk factors for death and for disease. So it, the data is all there and we understand the way it's transferred into our biology by increasing inflammation, by increasing cortisol and stress hormones, by which causing our microbiome to degrade, causing our proteins to malform, causing our epigenome to become malfunctional, causing our, our DNA not to be able to repair itself and our stem cells to not function. I mean, this is all hard science. I'm not making this junk up. It's just, it's there. The book has, I think, four or 500 references and I only had to leave so many out because my editor was like, the book's gonna be too long. You're gonna have to not put those references in. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, but it's all in there. So we've got Young Forever and there is, absolutely mind-blowing information in here 
And of course, you take us on an adventure too. Like the adventure to through Sardinia was so awesome to read. And it just like I felt like I was walking with you. Yeah. So the thing about you, you're writing these books. It is you and you're yeah. telling these stories totally. and the authenticity is there and you're a great writer. But the information is a game changer. Mm. Now, obviously, we cannot consolidate everything that's in here, which everybody needs to pick up a copy like <clears throat> yesterday, Young yeah. Forever. But what are three things? that really jump out for you that you think everybody should know, it should be taught to our children, it should be taught in schools that can help to solidify and encourage more longevity? I think it's really pretty simple, Jean. I think the first thing is, you know, eat an anti-inflammatory diet. And that means cut out all the crap and really dramatically reduce sugar and starch. So think of it as a recreational treat. You wanna have something sweet once in a while, fine not a staple. So it's, it's like having a drink of tequila. You know, I might like it, but I'm not going to do it three times a day. I might have it once a week or once a month. Increase the phytochemical richness of your diet. Take advantage of all the food that has these rich medicines in it that activate these longevity pathways, which I describe in the book. Exercise is just not optional. It's just not. If you don't exercise, what's going to happen is you lose muscle you lose fitness. And muscle is the currency of aging. And we know that as we age, we lose muscle, even if we don't lose weight. So we can stay the same weight, but be twice as fat. When we have marbled ribeye muscle, it doesn't work right. And it creates inflammation and changes your hormones, lowers your testosterone, raises stress hormones, all this bad stuff that makes aging go fast. So building muscle is key and maintaining muscle is key. And that means adequate protein in your diet. So you need protein to build muscle. You need the right kinds of protein at the right times. And as we get older, we need more protein because we get something called anabolic resistance. Our, mu our muscles resist getting stronger, but it doesn't mean they can't. And what I've been most excited about is some really recent studies that are so compelling showing that even in your 60s, you can maintain high levels of fitness and performance equal to a 30-year-old. And I know this because I, like, I, I ride my bike a lot and I'm out with my 30-year-old friends and they're like, I'm turning back. And I'm like, oh, let's go. I like was riding up a seven-mile straight hill and my you know 40-year-old friend who uh, was a you know, professional, actually professional soccer player, she couldn't keep up with me. Amazing. <laughs> you know? So the body has that capacity if you train it. So keep your muscle, keep your fitness. And, and the last one I would say would be, uh, you know, I would say uh, positive stress. And what I mean by positive stress is this idea of hormesis, which are these little stresses that take us out of our comfort zone that activate these ancient pathways. So we, we never lived in these perfectly temperature-controlled environments where everything was perfect and you know, we had no stress. We lived in a rough world. We lived out in nature and we had to deal with hot and cold extremes. And so hot therapy like saunas and cold plunges, great. You can take a cold shower in the morning and a hot bath at night if you don't have fancy equipment. You know. Exercise is one of these stresses. Calorie restriction or time-restricted eating is a stress. Um, hypoxia, which is another one you can do just to get these masks for like 50 bucks and you, you wear it while you're exercising, you're working at your desk to restrict oxygen. That activates your mitochondria repair. So there's all kinds of things like that. And I think just a basic panel of supplements that I talk about in the book that can help uh, actually provide the basic nutrients you need for longevity. Amazing. If anybody is walking the talk, it's Dr. Mark Hyman. Everybody <laughs> pick up a copy. Go to youngforeverbook.com. And depending on when you're listening to this, you can get some pre-order incredible bonuses there. And if you're listening to this after pub date, which it comes out February 21st, 
2023. And it's going to be a huge bestseller Thank for you. sure. Thank you. The, the information in here is a game changer and it's consolidated in a way that only you could do. Thanks, my friend. And this is why I appreciate you so much. And man, thank you so much for coming by to hang out with my us. My pleasure. It's great as always. Awesome. The legend, Dr. <laughs> Mark Hyman, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Definitely head over to youngforeverbook.com and take advantage of the pre-order bonuses. He always over delivers. And I promise you that this book is going to be a great addition to your library. But please take advantage of those bonuses because they're always something cool to add in. And also, of course, you can check Mark out and follow him on social media. And just truly one of the greatest teachers for myself personally. I came across some of Mark Hyman's work when I was living in Ferguson, Missouri. And, you know, I just started my practice as a nutritionist. And I couldn't believe that there was this decorated MD who was sharing these insights and really pointing out the fact that so much that's being done in medicine today is not leading to the right outcomes for patients. We're simply treating people in a way that's not effective. And he was calling it out and he was talking about truly effective modalities and had all of these cases of people being able to normalize their blood sugar, to normalize their blood pressure and reverse hypertension and improve cognitive performance and all these things, utilizing real principles, real food, real movement, things that people can employ in their lives and be empowered. And that's what I admired about him then. And here we are today being able to share this message face-to-face -face, and it's, it's really a powerful experience for me. And I'm just grateful that you are along this journey with me and trust and believe we got more, so much more in store for you. And you don't have to wait very long. We've got some epic shows, powerful masterclasses coming up very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.